Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hi, global investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your U.S. real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at 6% with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Dan Hanford. Dan is a managing partner of PassiveInvesting.com, an apartment investing firm based in the Carolinas. He has led his apartment syndication company to acquire over 2,000 units with a portfolio valued over $220 million in just under 24 months. He's a passive investor in over 4,500 units, spread over 21 different syndications, and provides free education through his network of over 50 meetups spread across the U.S. and his podcast, Multifamily Investor Nation. So thank you so much for being on the show, Dan. Glad to be here, Charles. Looking forward to providing some value to your audience here. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so can you give us a little background on yourself prior to starting your uh, your current business? Sure, sure. So um, I guess it kind of all started back in when I was in chiropractic college. So uh, when I was in, I'm a chiropractor by trade, not a lot of people know that, but I'm a chiropractor by trade. And when I was going through chiropractic college, all of those students obviously need to learn about the skeletal system, especially the spine, the spine itself. And so I heard a lot of students complaining about the spine models being overly priced. And so they were charging in the bookstore at that time, $189.95. And so I started doing some research and found a distributor online at the time that was selling it for uh, a little bit cheaper than that. So I actually called the distributor up and said, hey, if I can get an order of 20 of these spines together, and it was the exact same spine in the bookstore, you know, what could you get it to me for? And I said, $65. And so I was just thinking, oh, I'll just sell it for five dollars more, make a little bit of you know a little bit of money, and um, so I ended up selling it for sixty nine ninety five. And of course, these are college students, so I didn't want to be having any IOUs or anything like that. So I had them you know pay me up front with cash, check, PayPal, whatever they could, and then I was able to sell eighty of them in the first week. Wow! And because I went I went class by class and just sold them from the front of the room and sold 80 of them with cash up front the first week. And so I was like, I wonder if I can get rid of the distributor and go straight to the manufacturer. And so that's what I did. I found the manufacturer, went straight to the manufacturer, got that spine model for $42.48, including the shipping. And of course, went from just a little bit of money to a nice little, little chunk of change um, in, that, in those first. And then in the next two weeks later, sold another 40. And wow. from there, it opened me up to start my really first successful business that I still have today called shoppinganatomical.com, where we sell all types of skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and plastic anatomy models for colleges and doctor's offices and universities across the country and around the world. So it's a business that continues to do seven figures of revenue. And I have a good team that actually runs that for me, which when that company, when I first started in chiropractic college and started that company, 
it actually uh, grew to a point where it allowed me to start my first practice when I got out uh, debt free. And so I didn't have wow. to take any loans. And then even to this day, I now have four clinics that are now actually medical clinics, not chiropractic. We actually do a specific type of, uh, of, of uh, procedures, a lot of injection based procedures and for arthritis treatments as well as some sports injuries, do a lot of regenerative medicine like prolotherapy, PRP, mm -hmm. stem cell. And from the, the revenues that we were making off of that, obviously we were having to pay you know, a large amount of money to the government in taxes over six figures. And so we just decided that we wanted to try to find a way to reduce our taxable liability. And that's what kind of led me into the real estate side of things, diving into multifamily and wanting to go large right out of the gate. So you chose real estate as your investing vehicle, mostly for the passive income and then also for tax benefits. Correct. Okay, awesome. So what were your first couple real estate investments that you made? Were they passive in other deals or did you start off active? Yeah. So outside of my primary residence, which I don't really, I know it's a real, a real estate investment, but you know, I don't really think of it as like a real estate investment because you know, people buy houses all the time. Right. Um, but so anything outside of my primary residence, the, the, I started doing LP or passive investing mm -hmm. in apartments. And uh, that's what I first got started with. And even to this day, all but one of my investments is in a, an apartment complex. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. So I, awesome. I started out as a passive investor, then started to syndicate or co-syndicate with other operators for two or three, 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 two or three deals, mm -hmm. and then started to do my own deals. And then since then, I've been doing all my own projects. So where are you guys focused right now? Your focus, obviously you're based in Carolina, so that probably is your primary market. Where else are you guys looking? Yeah, so I'm actually located, um, myself and one of our other partners is located here in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And then one of our other partners is lo located in Charleston. We actually don't, oddly enough, invest in Columbia, South Carolina. There's just not a lot of economic drivers that really uh, create some stability in this market. So there's really four primary markets in the Carolinas that we're looking for. Uh, the first one is going to be in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Raleigh, North Carolina, the whole Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill kind of triangle area. And on the south side is in Greenville, South Carolina, and, and in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, okay. So what are the main factors your team looks for when underwriting a potential deal? Well, the biggest thing that we're looking for from the very beginning is, is you know, can we achieve the business plan that, that we're trying to, to achieve on that property? And there's a lot of things within the underwriting that could be changed or modified to make sure that we actually hit those, those numbers. So obviously, you know, from a, from a high level, the return metrics are definitely something that we're looking for. So if it's, there's two different types of assets that our, that our group is looking for. The first one is going to be a B plus asset with some value add component to it, usually built between about 1995 to 2005, give or take a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then also a class A asset, which it has is at least five years old and has a very stable, you know, a, a history financial history from when it came online. And so depending on which one we're choosing, obviously the return metrics are a little bit different as far as our targets, as well as the hold time frame. So most of our assets though, are usually in between five to seven years old and are anywhere between about a 13, 14% on the low end for those, low, for those higher end class A assets, um, upwards to about, about a 15, 16% on the, on the nice B plus assets. Okay. What is your role at passive investing mainly? 
So I'm primarily, um, we're all, I'll, I'll tell you, all three of our partners are kind of, you know, separated in our duties. So we don't have a lot of overlap. There are, there is some overlap, but one of the things that I always, that I've always learned from business in general and seen a lot of partnerships fail is that you have to have some very clear delineated duties for each one of the partners. Mm -hmm. And if each one of the partners are doing the same thing, a lot of times there's a lot of overlap and it creates conflict and it, and that's when a lot of times these partnerships fall out. And so when we started that set out to kind of find the partners for this, for our group, we wanted to make sure we had people that were specific for each one of these roles. So my primary role is on investor relations and marketing, as well as on the overall strategic objectives of the group. And then we have our second partner, which is Brandon Abbott and his goal and role is really around uh, acquisitions and construction management, because that's kind of what his background is. So he works with the brokers a lot, as well as the property managers and making sure that we're hitting the targets and the budgets that we're looking for um, as far as when we're doing our renovations. And then our third partner is Danny Randazzo and his, his background is as a financial analyst. And so he, of course, does all of our finance piece. So he does all the financial due diligence, the financial underwriting, works with the attorneys and the lenders and the like. So when you're focusing on investor relations and marketing for your firm, what are, what are some, of the, some of the activities that you, you're dealing with? Obviously, you have your whole education portion of your business with your podcast and everything like that. What other roles are you taking on or activities are you taking on at Passive Investing that kind of builds the brand? So for other syndicators that are building their brand right now. Sure, sure. So, I mean, there's two sides of it, like you mentioned. There's the multifamily investor nation group where I have the MFIN podcast and I also have the, the MFIN weekly webinars that we do. We've got a YouTube channel. We have all that stuff going on. That is really geared towards, you know, trying to educate other syndicators on how to do what we're doing and how to do syndication in general because there are a lot of people that, you know, think that they want to do syndication and then they find out about it and they're like, <laughs> oh man, this is a lot of work here. You have my money, you do it, right? Um, and then on the other side of it is, is there's a lot of active syndicators that have 401ks or IRAs that they cannot invest that in their own projects. And so because they know who I am and I've taught them some things, they actually have invested in our projects as well. So it kind of goes both ways when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, and, and as far as, um, you know, the, 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 I'm not sure what the rest of your question was. Repeat your, your question again. I was just seeing exactly the different, the different avenues you guys take. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I'm back on track now. Sorry, <laughs> a little bit of a sidetrack there. Sorry about that, Charles. Um, so, you know, kind of, that's kind of what we're doing from the MFIN, the multifamily investor nation side of things. And then from passiveinvesting.com, I have another assistant on that side that helps me from the investor relations piece. And mm. he actually focuses on any of the investor updates that have to happen as far as, you know, uh, if an investor wants to update their distribution forms or transfer entities, or, you know, we're, or we're raising funds for a project, she's making sure the PPMs are signed and filled out properly and all the distribution information gets put into our portal and, you know, all that kind of good stuff as well. And then of course we have a whole education arm for our own investors as well. I'll kind of swing over here for, uh, for those of you who are watching this thing live, you can kind of see, we actually put together these things right here, which is, this is our March 2020 newsletter. It's a nice oh. uh, you know, magazine that kind of goes out or, or newsletter that goes out to the investors. We do an investor interview and then we also give them information inside of here and they include things for the family. Like I have a little word search on the back and we also include a coloring page for the family as well. Um, and that goes out there on a monthly basis. So we're creating content for that. And then of course, when we have a project, we're also putting together, you can kind of see this on a high level. This is a, a project that we put together for our most recent deal oh. and basically just, you know, it's a 70 page 
you know, uh, investor packet or offering memorandum we put together and that goes out to all of our investors as well. So there's a lot of things on the back end that's going in from the education side, but also every investor we talk to, we, 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 we have that comes through our website. We talk to like me personally, I talk to each one of them and discuss their investment goals and see if they're the right fit for us as well. So we, uh, so you guys are looking at B plus assets, a assets, what is the other specs that you're looking for? How many doors do you guys focus on? Um, what are some of the things that you're not looking for that you would pass on? Yeah, so I mean, we, we don't really have a per, we don't really have a door count that we're a minimum mm -hmm. at. Ours is more of a dollar amount. So we're, our minimum is 20 million in acquisition. So inevitably, you're going to be pretty much over 100 units, probably over 200 mm -hmm. units, depending on where you're at. Um, but you know, our so our minimum is 20 million acquisitions. I mean, you know, before the whole COVID 19 thing happened, mm -hmm. we had seven LOIs out, ranging from mm -hmm. 35 million upwards to 72 million. So um, it just uh, obviously when COVID hit, a lot of those deals kind of were put on hold and, you know, things like that. So it just, uh, uh, it just depends. But as far as, you know, where, what, what's the, uh, um, what, where we're actually looking at for, for the, for the, for those deals, you know, we're, we're trying to find deals that make sense for our investors, which is one of the reasons why we pivoted in 2020 to go towards more of the higher end class A assets because we had a lot of our investors that said, hey, you know, we, we want to look for, we want to get away from C because we think that's a little bit more, a little bit more risky right now, which if you, if you, which if you look at across the entire spectrum of investments, anytime you see an investment, an investment that has a high return, what also comes with that? high risk, right? And so you can see that same thing as you go down the asset classes, class, class C has, you know, well, class D, if you want to go down there that far, has a really <laughs> high risk and really high return. But obviously, because of that high risk, it's, it's, you know, could potentially not work. Same thing with C class, it's a very high risk, high reward. Then you have your B class, which is more of kind of your moderate risk, moderate return. And then you have your a class, which is low risk, low returns. So if they want to have this kind of nice diversified portfolio, which right now, if you're in B plus A class assets, you're not doing as bad as right now when you're going to start seeing some of these C class assets, mm -hmm. these blue collar workers that are, you know, losing their jobs right now and, you know, are on furlough because of this COVID-19. We don't know what the impact is going to be because mm -hmm. this is the day before April 1st, right? Rents yep. are due next, I mean, tomorrow. So we'll, we'll see what actually happens over the next couple of weeks. So that transitioning to my next question. So how is your firm handling COVID right now, the crisis? And I mean, obviously, we have no idea what's really going to happen. Uh, everybody can just speculate on, you know, per what their what their renter, um, you know, what their renter job uh, allocation is and stuff like this. But how are you guys handling it now before anything really hits the fan? Sure, sure. So we're prepared, right? That's one of the biggest things we're trying to do right now. You know, March rents came in, you know, as usual. Uh, this April 1st is really going to when the rents are supposed to be coming due, when they're going to be, you know, showing us, you know, on which one of these assets or we have more, you know, renters that are going to be impacted the most. But before this even happens, obviously, from the property management side of things, we're making sure that, you know, right now all of our amenities are shut down, we're practicing social distancing, and we're having mm -hmm. extra cleaning and precautions and things like that. And and we're, we, we have, we're still doing, you know, on-site tours on some of our assets, but obviously doing that using masks and gloves mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff as well. I mean, just, just today I was having lunch um, with one of our partners, uh, Brandon, actually, and he said, actually, one of our properties, you know, early this week signed, to, signed up two more leases, right? Mm -hmm. So leases are still happening right now. It's just a little bit slower as far as the, the volume is concerned. But 
the other thing from a, from a, from a, you know, renter's perspective and making sure their rent payments are due, there's really kind of three things. Number one, we're making sure that, you know, the rent, the, the, the actual residents know that there is some assistance available for them. So if they've lost mm-hmm. their job, there's unemployment benefits available mm-hmm. and where to actually go get those. And, you know, obviously talking to them about the stimulus package and setting up payment arrangements for them if necessary. And, uh, and for those people who were planning on leaving, going ahead and having them stay and maintain occupancy during this time and maybe extending them out three, six, nine months of their lease on a month on a, on a monthly, on the same rate as they were before. So we can maintain that occupancy and not being as aggressive on the rent premiums right now. And then the second thing of course, that we're looking for, we're looking to do is, uh, for the property, our property itself, because we have on-site management there, we're looking for the payment, the payroll protection program with the SBA, which is going to allow us to be able to, you know, offset some of the some of the downsides of what has happened with the the COVID nineteen. And then, of course, there's also the disaster relief loan program, which allows us to be able to take advantage of some of those opportunities as well. So, there's a lot of different things that we're doing and moving parts and making sure that the property will continue to be able to be able to sustain itself through a, through this little bit of a hiccup. Yeah, we're doing the same things there, letting all of our tenants know about the the government programs, whether that's state, local, federal, uh, you know, disinfecting your common areas. We're doing our elevators, you know, door handles twice a day. Um, just kind of just just kind of getting in front of it as much as possible and trying to minimize uh, disruptions with any type of with any type of rent that's coming in. But um, we were chatting about it a little prior before I started recording, but is it any way of possibly underwriting? Obviously, you guys had seven LOIs out. So is there any way of possibly underwriting this? Are you guys putting all of your acquisitions on hold for 90, 120 days? Or what, how, is, how do you guys go back now? And when you speak to Danny and stuff, like how are you guys even looking at stuff or pushing stuff off? Sure, sure. So I would say the majority of the assets that we were looking at, we kind of pushed off because of the unknown. But depending on the acquisition and the, and the asset, you know, there are st- we are still acquiring right now. So mm-hmm. um, we have a deal right now that's under contract that we're, we're moving forward with. We're actually closing it probably in the, the middle to the end of May, right? And uh, But it, obviously, when we put that deal together, we kind of knew that this stuff was coming along the line. So our, our rent, rent premiums are not very high. Like the, over the next 12 months, I think it's like $9 and it's going to take us 12, 12 months to do that. So, but deals that we were underwriting before that had a large heavy CapEx, which that one doesn't, um, but the ones that did have a large heavy CapEx where you're trying to achieve those rent premiums over the next 12 to 15 months and you're renovating those interiors and, and doing some up, upfits on the amenities, those are going to have to be pushed out. Right. Anybody who's underwriting the deal right now cannot underwrite that anything's going to get done in the, probably the next three to four months. Yeah. So to be able to, you know, underwrite for if you're originally projecting, you know, 12 months, it's going to be at least 15 to 18 months before you can renovate those units and achieve the stabilization that you're looking for with those rent premiums. So there's there's ways to underwrite it, but the, but the, the biggest factor that's very hard to underwrite right now is the debt market because there's so many, so much volatility volatility right now in the debt that you don't really know where your rate's going to come in. So being able to stress test your underwriting model on the high, the, the, the best case and the worst case scenario and kind of coming up somewhere in the middle is the best way right now to actually underwrite these types of assets. Yeah. The other thing too, is when you're talking about debt is the possible uh, pending like Fannie Freddie reserve requirements that I hear coming out where it's now, you know, you're putting, I was reading um, one year of, uh, of debt and then debt one service. year of actually your maintenance and repairs, which used to be just like 250 a unit or something per year or whatever. So that's going to be something that's going to possibly drag down returns. And then it's also going to just be, you know, much larger raises. So 
Yeah. I mean, and it, and it really depends on the size of the deal mm-hmm. and it depends on where that asset is located. And cause I know for, for Freddie and, and Fanny, one of their, their small balance program is where they're putting this on the most. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, and it also depends on your leverage point. So if you get below a certain leverage point, then a lot of times these reserves won't be in play anyway. Um, but obviously the lower you have on your, your, your lower, your lower, you have on your leverage, yeah. the more equity you got to raise. And of course, equity is going to be a little more costly than debt is when it comes to paying your investors a higher premium than you would an actual lender. The Freddie uh, small balance, that's one to eight or one to 7 million. Is that what that is? Correct. Yep. Something like that. Okay. So definitely not even deals that you guys are, are going to be working with, but for your smaller investors, that's going to be something that, which makes perfect sense. There's a lot more volatility in a smaller deal versus something yep. where you're having 100, 150 units plus. So um, you educate a number of new and existing investors. So what are some common mistakes you see with new investors? Obviously, COVID put aside just uh, in, your, in your normal real estate career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of, the, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is, is somebody trying to do this without having some form of a mentor um, mm-hmm. ahead of time. Because I can tell you right now that I wouldn't have been able to put our group together and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, acquire over 200 million in assets in under 24 months if we didn't have a good solid mentor beside us that was helping us and kind of building our credibility. And then outside of that, being able to co-GP with some other people on our first couple of deals to really kind of get our feet wet, again, build credibility, not just with our investors, but building credibility with the sellers and the brokers and, you know, building that track record before we put down our first deal. And the first deal our, our group put together by ourselves was a 130 unit property, 8.9 million. And, wow. uh, and since then we've just continued to grow. And our most recent deal that we closed on at the end of 2019 was a large $51.5 million acquisition wow. where we raised 14 million in just under two weeks. And did you guys co-sponsor that with anybody or is that completely? It's just our deal. Year? It's wow. our, yeah. For the main that's operator. awesome. That's yep. uh, uh, that's fantastic. Um, what, how did you guys, how did you meet your partners? So Danny is actually my mentor's uh, mentee. So that we both okay. were mentees with our mentors. That's how we met. And he, of course, he's only about an hour and a half away from me. Yep. And so we drove and met. And then Brandon actually goes to my church. So him and I go to the same church together. He's got a wife and four girls. And I got a wife and uh, three girls and a boy. And our, my, my wife and I's oldest girl is his youngest daughter's their best friends. Um, so they, uh, they kind of, they have a lot of things in common as far as the church and school and things like that. Um, but he started hearing about some of the stuff that I was doing and, you know, wanted to be, wanted to actually come and join us. So he came and joined because his, his skill set was perfect for what we were looking yeah. for. And, uh, and I feel like really with our triad approach, our group is really solidified with that approach. Yeah. Your skill set definitely matches up. It's, it's so great how that is where you have someone that specializes in every different portion. So you're not overlapping. So, which is, which is an awesome thing to have, um, especially when syndicating or doing any type of business that you have that. So, yep. um, how can people learn more about you and your business? Sure, sure. The best way to, for people to find out about us is just to go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. There's a little form on there. If you're interested in joining us as a passive investor, you can click on the Passive Investor Club form. And uh, like I said earlier, I'll jump on a phone call with you. My assistant will reach mm-hmm. out to you and I will schedule a call so we can discuss your investment goals to see if we're the right fit for you. And then if you're interested in some you know, training on multifamily, you can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com or go to mfinpodcast.com to go 
uh, uh, subscribe to our, our podcast, which is all about multifamily. And we only interview people who are actively closing deals. So if you have to, you have to close a deal in the last 12 months in order to be on our podcast, mm-hmm. we dive deep into those deals about how they found them, how they acquired them, how they work with the lenders and the, what happened came up during due diligence and uh, also how they work with the investors and what the equity splits were and kind of wow. getting a lot of the nitty gritty on these deals. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. So thank you very much for being on the show today, Dan, and look forward to connecting with you in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Charles. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.